And so designers have always argued for a seat at the table. But the good news is now we are getting a seat at the table. When when design is involved early, it requires a mind shift, not only for the stakeholders, but for designers themselves. So what that means is designers have to also come to the table with a lot of experience. So, you know, you are not going to get a design brief. So let's say you're as a designer, you're in a project and I'm the business lead who's uh, who's in charge of transformation, but I have not yet figured out exactly where I need to change. As a designer, if you're expecting a very clear design brief on what needs to be done, well, it's not there yet because we're still, we're still working on it. You're involved, you know, early, right? So the designer has to know how to make themselves useful, how to play a part, how to stay engaged at the conversation at the table. The conversation at the table could be about technology, could be about business, could be about legal and compliance, you know, what are uh, the regulatory frameworks of in our industry and what can we do, you know? The, the conversation can be multifaceted, beyond the area of design. And of course, design should bring that human-centered value. Like how do we find more information about the customer broadly and bring it to the table? So I think it's a whole new area that the game has just kind of gotten to a different level and designers have to upskill themselves with with new skills in order to stay engaged. And, and I just want everyone to be aware that there are certain new expectations uh, placed on top of designers and how might we be successful. Welcome to Design Drives, your audio experience about what, how, and why design drives things forward. A podcast hosted by Sebastian Gear, together with forward-thinking design practitioners from around the world. In this episode, I talk with Shanaki Kuma during Interaction 20 in Milan after a very long conference week wrapped up. She's living in San Francisco and is the head of design for the commercial bank at JP Morgan Chase, as well as co-instructor at Stanford's LEAD program. Formerly she was VP of Design Evangelism at SAP, as well as the head of design at SAP's Co-Innovation Center. We talk about the intersection of design and business, and Janaika is sharing excellent and inspiring perspectives on how to transform organizations, bring design to the table, how to work with other stakeholders and grow the value of design. We also talk on how the conversation of outcomes, ethics and behavior design can be brought to a corporate setting as an important conversation. But with power also comes responsibilities and you know challenges. So we also touch on how the design community itself actually needs to evolve in order to take on these, these current and upcoming opportunities. Thanks for an inspiring conversation, Janika. And I hope everyone enjoys the episode as much as I did the conversation. Cheers. So I'm here speaking to um, Janaki Kumar. I'm super excited about that. She's a co-instructor at Stanford LEAP program, and she's also the head of design for the commercial bank of JP Morgan Chase. In the past, she um, actually was the head of design for the Co-Innovation Center America, working a lot also on design evangelism. So I hope um, I'm really looking forward to talk a little bit about you, about the value of design, how you evangelize design. And yeah, super excited about that. And I think it would be great for the audience if you could just give them a brief introduction about yourself and a little run through to your journey and some of the experiences uh, you had and uh, drive behind it. Thank you, Sebastian. Thank you for letting me speak to you this morning. I am, as you mentioned, you know, have a, a few roles in design. My journey started actually in business. So I have a master's in finance and then I also have a master's in information systems from Boston University. And I came into the field of design before there was an official 
human computer design as a as a field you know our as you know our field is young <laughs> yesterday during the conference i asked people to raise their hand on how people who have been design leaders for 3 years 5 years 10 years and you can see as i went into the 10 years there were very few people because our field is not that very old so i've had the privilege of seeing our field from the very beginning seeing it evolve and change it gives me a, an appreciation and a vantage point and a sense of history i worked in the east coast of the united states for many years and then i moved to the west coast i worked um, in palo alto sap design labs and for the last 5 years since i was there uh, we ran something called the design and co-innovation center we had the chance to work as an agency within the large corporation of sap and help other organizations transform their business through the through design and in parallel i was working with stanford both at the d school as well as through the at the gsb the graduate business school and we ran a program called the lead program and i i teach a course called the customer experience design from a neuroscience perspective i could teach that with a professor and i have a chance to talk to executive students who are doing continuing education so it's very fascinating for me uh, my current role is head of design at commercial bank uh we are transforming you know how the bank interfaces with businesses smaller businesses that is our area of expertise and it's it's really fascinating i think the industry is changing before our eyes as well as design is a driver of transformation and and change uh and it's fascinating to be at the forefront of all of that yeah super fascinating um, experiences you know since you been you know, work at you know, different places etc maybe you had um, projects or moments in your career where it really clicked for you where you had the feeling you could drive impact through design to the background of design or uh, as a design team so i'm wondering a little bit about that maybe moments or projects or efforts uh, happening uh, in your career where this was really striking to you but well, thanks for asking that question it takes me way back actually i worked at a company called fanny may and we work on a project called desktop advisor so it was a loan you know so if if you are in the united states i don't know how it is in germany but in the united states when you want to buy a home you typically apply for a mortgage or loan from the bank and if you're a low or moderate homeowner sometimes it's a struggle you know to make sure you have the down payment and make sure you can you can you can afford the home right and there's a lot of misinformation or ignorance about how to go about the process the process is a little bit difficult so one of the projects that i worked on was called desktop advisor so if as a low and moderate homeowner you choose you apply for a loan instead of just saying no you don't qualify we try to give them more advice and say you know your savings are this much could you maybe increase your savings by saving saving a little bit more like you know this percentage or you can say you know your credit card debt is so much percentage of your income maybe try to pay off some of that so it really put a plan in place for people to help them manage their finances so so they feel a sense of control and also help them and say you know the the neighborhood that you're uh, you know th this neighborhood the average price of the house is this much you know give them very good choices instead of it saves people time it saves uh, gives them a sense of control over their own destiny it's very empowering and we we rolled out that project and we actually give the whole report in text you know this was i have to date myself but this was in 97 we had used ai engines to generate a readable a report 
that people could actually take back with them and study and and act on. This won an award of in the Smithsonian for you know just social impact, and I think that project opened my eyes to the power of human-centered design and truly looking at our processes and our products through the lens of the people that we serve who are our customers and seeing how we can do our our job better and f- make people feel a little bit better about interfacing with us. Yeah, super interesting. Was it uh, effort that started from the um, design side or, you know, there are saying two sides to the impact of design in a way that there's the um, co-innovation process and, you know, the facilitation with the other stakeholders in order to drive a, a common vision, right? And then there's the, the craft part. How did you approach this? in terms of like which aspects uh, of design did you did you use there and yeah throughout my career i've actually worked in cross functional teams so there's usually a business partner or product strategist right someone who can maybe look at the marketplace and look at what is the addressable market space who are our customers you know from that through the lens of the market there may be a business person you know what is the viability of this business and so on i bring in the the design from a human centered perspective who are the customers who are what is their profile look like what what are their needs what is the context in which they might use our product and so on and then there's the technology you know what is the current state of the technology that we can leverage for this what is you know what can what is realistic for us to bring to market you know as soon as possible so always had a chance to work i think the most successful projects that i worked on there is a very strong collaboration amongst the different stakeholders you know business technology as well as design and in, in fact the lines are blurred you know i bring back the design research findings and we collaboratively synthesize the information right so people of uh, when we bring in our business partners to come to the research with us they're able to find a different layer of meaning in what the user is saying and you know we are able to it just gets richer and richer when you find more layers of meaning in in what you are trying to uncover you know when we in projects where we really have to work in a siloed manner i feel it's an opportunity lost right because you're not able to pull in the expertise from the different uh, cross functional team members i wonder a little bit um, since you you know also work quite a bit on the aspect of design evangelism how was your um, approach there can you talk a little bit about your experience you know evangelizing design and uh, your approach there to to other stakeholders in terms of like communicating the value of design you know i played the role of design evangelism when i was in the office of the chief design officer at sap you know i when i started the design and innovation center initially our projects around design were more around changing usability so let's say there was a dashboard and the dashboard wasn't was not providing the right information people were not using it you know these are for very large organizations right and then we would drill into you know what is the information that they're looking for and fix it from more a mechanical or a usability perspective but as time went by people were looking at design through the lens of how can it change and transform our organizations and at that moment in time we found that we needed to be more nuanced in our communication so some organizations it was not a one size fits all right some organizations we 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 came to the conclusion that there were four stages in in organizational readiness for design right design led innovation 
the first stage is interested. So they probably, you know, have senior executives in the organization, uh, like CEOs at some level, they've seen McKinsey reports, Wall Street Journal articles, or, you know, Harvard Business Review articles, and they are like super interested or design has done amazing things for their competitors, you know, why not us? So they get very interested in design, but they don't fully know what that means, right? So then usually they come to us and ask questions uh, so that's like the first stage. What we find there is it's a great opportunity. It's good uh, that the senior executives are interested, but in terms of you know what it takes to invest in design and make space for design and really integrate designers into the organization, they're not ready yet. The next stage we find is invest. Invest means they usually put a project together. They come to a like, okay, this is a good area of focus. Let's put a small team together. Let's invest in some, you know, let's some invest in budget. Let's give space for the designers to go out and do some research, bring all this information in. So that's the invested phase, right? So they, they're starting to small get small wins, but it's still a little bit in a vac in in a small pocket, right? The the transformation or the change in behavior is happening in a small pocket. It hasn't quite gone into the rest of the organizations. And in stage two, which we call uh, invested, although they're seeing successes, there's a danger that the rest of the organization may see this as a foreign body in their organization. So you know you have to find a way to bring that practice and create transparency across the rest of the organization. So there, there's a little bit more buy-in because only then can they move into the engaged phase. Engaged phase is where everyone is, every project, you know, they, they come to the realization is that's how we work. You have to get a cross-functional team together, a designer, a technologist, and a business person. Let's go and talk to customers first and find out what they really want, things like that. And in that stage, you know, when the senior executives are getting, oh, how come I don't get you know, enough designers, I don't, you know, I don't have design thinking room for myself, things like that, then you know that the organization has start to like think of it as a, the very nature of how they, how they work. And then finally, we say scaled. Scaled is when everyone is looking at design as a, as a way to work better, regardless of product centric approach. So even if you're in the legal organization, you may want to make your processes better, you know, make sure your contracts are easier for your customers to understand, things like that. And when when design starts to get foothold into organize, in parts of the organizations that are not traditionally product-centric, we say that, okay, now it's in a scaled stage of evolution. So this was, uh, this, this realization and this framework was when our chief design officer asked me to do some of this. He gave me the role of the evangelist so that I could use this framework and talk to many senior executives from different organizations, companies who were coming to our, coming to SAP to talk to us. We could have that conversation with them and they could see for themselves where they are in the maturity model and take very concrete actions to drive change within the organization. So that was typically my role at that time. I think it was amazing seeing like how you like how you structure it. I want a little bit. How was then your approach? For example, if you find out some stakeholders were in the say stage one, how was your approach in terms of like changing this to stage three or four? Yeah, I think stage one. I mean, literally, we have to first and foremost have patience with ourselves, with the organization. I mean, the fact that 
an organization is in stage one, there's nothing wrong with it. Like they may, these may be multi-million dollar companies that have existed for many years, very successfully. They're used to doing things a certain way. And, you know, then they just see their industry being disrupted, small startups coming and encroaching into their space. And that's when they have the wake up call to say, wait a minute, something is changing. I need to change. But it usually this realization light bulb moment happens at very senior levels and the rest of the organization is still in stage stage one. So it's good that we realize that you're in stage one, which is better than stage zero. And we have to set expectations. They're not going to go from stage one to stage three, right? Like it's not going to happen overnight. Typically what I recommend is, you know, start small, take a very high impact strategic project. So if the senior executives is very interested in it and he wants to drive change, he says, oh, you know what, if we speak about this in theory, people are not going to really buy in, right? Even if you're this CEO of the organization, you're not going to make change all by yourself. You need the power of the organization to be behind you to, to make this change really manifest as a new organization. So in order to do that, you need an example from your own organization to say, here's a successful project that we were able to move along, right? That's when it sticks in people's mind, like, okay, this is us. So usually the, the, the way to do it would be pick an area of focus, and say, where do you want to, where do you want to change? And uh, there's a whole methodology we go through to even identify where that is. So we do a holistic journey map of customers from, you know, awareness, uh, buying and the whole, whole bit, even from service. And then we find out, okay, where do, where is that biggest impact of change? And then from there for, we usually look at it from the customer's lens and then we look at it from an internal lens to see where can, I'll give you a concrete example. Okay. So this was a large shoe manufacturing company. I won't mention the names, but they were very well established, extremely successful, but a lot of new companies were coming into the market. So what they, we did was a storyboard, a storyboard to talk about Jane's journey. So Jane's journey was, uh, Jane goes into a shoe store and says, Oh, I really like this shoe and may I have it in this color, in this size. The shoekeeper person looks at it and says, oh, very cool. I'm glad you like it, but we don't have this color and this size. But the Foot Locker, which is like a, another you know, chain of store, has it in your size. They're only half a block away. Please go there. Right. And the customer goes there. So and the customer is happy. Actually, they, they're like, OK, this is cool. They do it. Now, this is a very simple storyboard. But if you if you kind of take every scene in the story and you you look at it, right, that means that the storekeeper has to have information about not only their own inventory, they have to have knowledge about the inventory of their partners, which is like a footlocker. And they have to have, you know, whether they have it in stock. Right. This is like so deep into visibility into the supply chain, which is a big project. Like it seems so simple on the, on the top level, but if you drill into what it takes to make it happen. So then we, we talk about it and then there may be other situations as well. So we talked about, you know, 3d printing and let's say your left foot is slightly larger than your right foot. How do you, how do you manage that? Can you have any, uh, you know, can you 3d print, print some things. There are different layers in that storyboard. So we can identify along with the stakeholders and say, which is the biggest, the best project that is, is, a, is one, a quick win that is, you know, it doesn't take years and years, but you're able to have a, a good impact. But at the same time, it's significant enough that it sends a message of empowerment through the organization. So when we 
we pick that, then we build the team together. And usually the team has to come from internal as well as external as well. And then you, you, you do that and then you start to talk about it as a process of innovation within the rest of the organization using a concrete example from the organization. Thanks for pointing out a very concrete example. I think this is I think also great for the audience to learn by that. I mean, you got quite an experience on especially large enterprises, in-house, big in-house corporations like SAP, uh, very much on like B2B solutions, right? And now JP Morgan. I want a little bit about how you see the role of design when it comes to these large corporations and maybe some of the differences to if you would work more on a B2C space, for example. You know, for me, for many years, this whole line of B2B to B2C has just completely blurred. We say it is, there's a new acronym that's coming out now from Stanford. It is essentially the two-sided platforms. So the two-sided platforms are, you know, there is a supplier and the, and the consumer all on the same platform. And you need to, you need to design for both. And I think I would say at least for the last three, four years, this whole line has blurred. And we, we look, I mean, even in the financial services area that I'm working in right now, it's consumer facing. So there are financial designs that we are doing, which an end consumer, they may be a small business owner, they may be a small investor, but we still have to provide them. And then they may be, in our case, right, I'll give you another concrete example from where you are working. Financial, in financial services, we look at investing, right, in multifamily houses. So like apartment buildings, like the one we're in right now, you could have renters, people who uh, pay rent. And, and across the world, there are, I think, 1.2 billion people who are renting. And in, especially in large metro areas, people are renting. So when we are creating these platforms, you have the, the landlords on one side who need a lot of information, who need a lot of financial services, and they are our primary customers, but they also need to provide information and interface with their tenants, right? So who's the consumer? Who's the business? You know, it's just all in one. You have to create the platform with, with a human in mind. And I think the expectations around B2B versus B2C has also changed, right? Businesses also have very high expectations with regards to experience because the products that they use on the personal level, um, you know, they expect the same, you know, let's say I buy something on Amazon and this is how I check out. Why can't I do the same for my business, right? So that's the mindset that everybody has. So I would say, I think for all user experience professionals out there, just throw out the notion of B2B and B2C and just approach your customer as the customer. And I think that is the best, that's the best approach going forward. Uh, well, also like what you said that, you know, obviously there's always a customer, right? But uh, also that a lot of the progress that happened on the consumer side, in terms of like how well designed some of the experiences are, I think then really influence of enterprise. You gave a t talk yesterday at Interaction 20 about redesigning the designer and we're not able to go into, you know, everything you shared, but maybe you can give the most important lessons um, you shared and shared with the audience. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, the design profession has always asked for a seat at the table and I'm using air quotes and seat at the table. Seat at the table is a, an American or an English expression where you want to be part of the decision making table. You know, designers don't like it when they just are viewed as pixel pushers and every all the decisions are made and they're like, oh, can you make the screen pretty? You know, that really makes everyone very upset. And so designers have always argued for a seat at the table. But the good news is now we are getting a seat at the table. So in my experience, we are engaged 
very early in in projects where design is brought in at a very high you know early stage when we're still figuring things out so what my talk yesterday was be careful what you wish for because it's coming true that means when when design is involved early it requires a mind shift not only for the stakeholders but for designers themselves so what that means is designers have to also come to the table with a lot of experience so you know you're not going to get a design brief so let's say you're as a designer you're in a project and i'm the business lead who's uh, who's in charge of transformation but i have not yet figured out exactly where i need to change as a designer if you're expecting a very clear design brief on what needs to be done well it's not there yet because we're still we're still working on it you're involved you know early right so the designer has to know how to make themselves useful how to play a part how to stay engaged at the conversation at the table the conversation at the table could be about technology could be about business could be about legal and compliance you know what are uh, the regulatory frameworks of in our industry and what can we do you know the the conversation can be multifaceted beyond the area of design and of course design should bring that human centered value like how do we find more information about the customer broadly and bring it to the table so i think it's a whole new area that the game has just kind of gotten to a different level and designers have to upskill themselves with with new skills in order to stay engaged and and i just want everyone to be aware that there are certain new expectations uh placed on top of designers and how might we be successful so the way i framed my talk was here are five tips for how to redesign the designer the role of the designer is changing right as we move into a strategic role and the fact of the matter is academia like the academic design programs are not yet ready to to provide all the information we need for is not changing as rapidly as industry so here's basically five more things that you need to learn in order to be successful when you become part of an organization. I think it's a great bridge to maybe aspect of education um, where you're also quite involved, right? The Stanford Lead program, uh, for example. I think it's very interesting that you are also involved from a design side, right? And, you know, bring design to such a business program. So I want to know a little bit about, about that intersection, uh, why design needs to be involved and also teach in, in such business programs. Yeah, so... Stanford has a variety of programs and this particular lead program is like continuing education you know it's usually people who are considered you know top talent or in an organization who get the sponsorship of their organization and but some people sponsor themselves as well so they this part program gives it's like a variety of different topics product strategy entrepreneurship and then you know in addition to that i, I have customers as a center design from a neuroscience perspective so the the combination you know i i work with a professor in marketing and uh, so he comes at it from a customer experience design for business but then i also talk about design thinking and the methodology of design thinking and using that to to drive product innovation and then as change makers within the organization you know who are the typical people who apply to this program they need to now make the change in their organizations right so we try to give them some mental frameworks on you know risk averse behavior you know how do you drive organizations that are really kind of resistant to change you know how do you get buy in from your stakeholders for your ideas how do you really drive change within a large organization so we try to marry that 
the idea like, okay, great, you have an idea, but how are you going to get it all the way to implementation? You need the help of the organization. So that, that's the synergy that we try to drive. It's a very unique, particular, you know, I, I would say it's it's unique course that we've designed because we, we look at it through the lens of academics as well as industry. And we've been getting really good feedback from our students for this course because of that synergy. The, the way this is, a lot of it is online, but we have live sessions. And during the live sessions, the professor and I, we take live questions. You know, it's, it's a, 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 they either can tell, ask their question, they can type in their question and all kinds of things. And sometimes we make it a little bit interactive. We have role play. So around my, the professor pretends to be an executive and I'm selling the idea. And then he's coming up with all kinds of different reasons why we can't do it. And I'm trying to give up but with all reasons that we learned in this, in the, in the course on how we should do it. And it's just really interesting. And then students will send us information, like ideas on, oh, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? So it becomes, we've heard really good feedback around how it's applicable and very actionable for them in their, in their course. So I think that's the, that's the big difference we try to bridge. Since the, pers- the people who are taking the course are already at work and how do we take all the learnings from academics and make it actionable so that the next meeting they go to the next day, you know, when they go to work, they're really able to put that into practice and get some positive results out of it. So there's a lot of talk these days around the impact of design at large. I mean, you are pretty aware of this. And I mean, you were also sharing your talk a little bit about the intersection of design and business. Where do you see this going? I just want a little bit about um, your point of view on, on, on that whole conversation. Yeah, I think re- design is will be more relevant than ever before. Uh, we, are still, we are just starting to realize the power of design. You know, there is, yet yeah, a short answer to your question is yes, design is just sort of learning its own power, right? And business parts of the organization want to work with design and this will only accelerate in the coming years. There's a lot of great realization in the design industry around ethics of design. So how do we actually, we know the power of design, but how do we use our power for good, right? So I think that will be an important topic. And, you know, while it's important to help be good partners to our stakeholders and drive their initiatives from a business perspective, I think it will also be looked upon as the role of designers to come to the table with some point of view around the impact of technology on society and how be help the organization make the right choices you know in terms of saying you know yes we can build this product to have extreme adoption but then you're going to have to say okay but we shouldn't go so far as to create this negative impact, you know. So I I think we should try to bring in a more long-term human-centered design. So what I see designers, you know, we've we've been very much on human-centered design as like a moment in time, which is how do we create usable, usable, effective, efficient products for now. Um, But I think that's not going to cut it enough. You know, we're going to have to look at it from a future centered perspective. And how do we 
create products that are that create value in the long run. I think it's fascinating where the field of design is is going. It, you know, we we have this opportunity in our hands to really step up and play that very important role. And there are again, academics is is not going to catch up as soon as quickly as we need it to. So we need to create those strong partnerships and take our our little profession forward into the big leagues. Something I noticed in the, also with a lot of the last conversation is, is that it feels like there are two sides to it, right? There's one conversation around uh, topics like ethics, actual outcome, habits, uh, behavior design. I mean, these are kind of very growing aspects, like really fighting for um, the human side, right? And um, the importance of design in that area. And then on the other side, there's obviously a lot of talk around, okay, designer now needs to, you know, understand business as well. And I feel, uh, you know, we try to, you know, also cover a lot, you know, it's, uh, it's a balance game because these are two sides of one coin in a sense, right? That's, thank you for asking that question. Okay, so think of two lines, okay? Two lines and they look like they are parallel to one another. Now, project miles in the future. These lines are going to match. So that's what I'm I, I'm trying to say. Like if you have a future-centered perspective, the long-term interests of the business align with the long-term interests of humanity. So I think this sense of duality is a moment in time which is actually an illusion. You know, it is short-sighted of business to, to shortcuts the needs of the human being, of communities, as well as societies at large. It is actually shooting themselves in the foot because most organizations are not trying to live only for five the next five years. They, you know, most organizations want to be successful for the long run. And that aligns with human human humanity. We want to be around for a while. We want to make sure that, you know, we are providing value and, and we have, we just have a, a world for the next generation, you know, so I think our interests align more than we think they do. And it is the role of designers to articulate that message in a way that creates that, that change. You know, we are the architects of our future. We are the, you know, and we as designers have this unique role where we can make this, this change happen. So I think this parallel line issue is, a, is an illusion. And in fact, they meet. I love the perspective you bring there to conversation. At the moment, it really looks like sort of like two sides on one. But if you are in, in that moment, right, in stakeholder, in that conversation, right, you know, how do you make people understand exactly what you're saying there, that, you know, at some point these two lines, they're going to meet and you need to consider these aspects now in order to be relevant in the future, right? Do you have any experiences or learnings when it comes to making this clear to, to other stakeholders? I think, you know, from my experience, if you make a genuine case for it, people listen, especially in large organizations, you know, I, I'm, I found that, you know, I was just part of the senior leadership meeting at JP Morgan Chase and, you know, more than we realize, companies are looking at making long-term impact and they are interested in preserving, you know, the reputation of the company for the long run. And I think we can use those words essentially to make sure that we are, we are doing the right thing. So one of the, I mean, it really is very contextual. So as a designer, if you're trying to make the case, you're going to have to 
try different arguments to see which one works in your context for your industry. One of the things that we are very concerned about is reputational risk. We do not want to be, we don't want to do anything that is detrimental to the, for customers, you know, making sure we protect their security, their confidentiality, their, you know, their well-being, their long-term success. So I think if you use words like reputational risk, for example, that is a good word, like a good phrase to use to avoid doing some certain things that could be harmful. I mean, I think at the end of the day, businesses are changing as well. You know, these are big change that cannot be all done by single designers. It, it takes the whole industry and the whole, you know, the, the quarterly reports results, you know, every organization is reporting their quarterly earnings, right? And everyone is just playing for the, the next three months, essentially. That mindset is very detrimental and short-sighted for, for doing the right thing in the long run. So, you know, as designers, I think we just have to be patient with ourselves as well. I mean, these are big changes and we are going to have to do our part and then society and industries has to do their part as well. But if you don't believe in what the CEO of the organization is trying to say in terms of, you know, where their industry, where their point of view is and your point of view is with regards to the long term contribution to society, I think there's something for you to examine personally as well. You know, one of the things that large companies in general, and, and as a hiring manager, I've been a manager for 20 years, employees matter, you know. We want employees to feel good about the places they work in. We want employees to be loyal and like really be, you know, we want the best talent to be attracted to our organizations. And especially this generation of talent they're not just working for a paycheck, you know, they want to work in a place where they feel that they're going to have real impact and they are going to actually make positive change in the organization. I don't, I think that is the beauty of this generation. I, I'm just really in love with this, this, um, the cohorts of students who are coming out of uh, colleges now there, they have such a passionate belief in the future and they want to contribute society in a positive manner, tap into that energy. You know, I just, just like drink it in because we are, and as managers, and if you want to make a positive change, that is a, a key argument that I would place on the table and say, I'm not going to be able to recruit top talent. I'm not going to be able to recruit passionate, amazing designers if all we are trying to do is to do harm to the world your senior executives are going to stop in their tracks like, oh my God, I need to change. I need, this is not the, this is not the future for me. So place that argument on the table and see what happens. I mean, I don't have a one answer for this, but these are things that come to my mind on how would I, I would approach making the case for good in the world. Love your, your point of view that and these younger generation, that's definitely one aspect where you know people look at in terms of like where they spend their time also for, for their day-to-day -day job. So totally agree. And also the products and services they, they use, they really look out for this kind of aspect. And I also love what you said about using the right vocabulary, right? I was also touching on that a little bit in my talk that by rephrasing some of the things we already try to say as designers in a more a business manner talking about reputation talking about the risking maybe because we can contribute something there you know i think we have to wrap it up because of uh, time but yeah thank you so much for for sharing all uh, these amazing points of view and uh, experiences with the audience that was the episode if you want to give us feedback on the podcast have something to contribute to the next episode, or just want to get in touch, feel free to connect with us either on Facebook, Twitter, 
Instagram messages, or simply via the designdrives.org website. We love to hear from you.